Let's pray and then we'll look at Genesis chapter 3 a little bit more closely. Our Father, as we sit here tonight, many of us are so familiar with Genesis chapter 3. Many of us here were taught it as children in school or Sunday school and we've heard it preached multiple times uh, before. And yet, Lord, it is so foundational for understanding the big story of the scriptures and also ultimately the big story of this world. And so, Lord, we would pray tonight that you would help us um, not to turn off because we know about this passage, but instead to concentrate all the more and to listen a little bit more closely in the hope of hearing your Spirit say to us something that we need to hear this evening. Oh Lord, give us wonder afresh at your word tonight. Give us wonder afresh as we look at this part of the Bible together. We ask this in the name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. I want you to imagine that an alien from outer space or from a galaxy far, far away. He comes to earth and he visits and he, you're the only person he meets, okay? You're the only person this alien gets to meet. And he says to you, he asks you this question, he says, listen, can you tell me what is very, very good in this world you live in? What makes this world you live in a wonderful world? I wonder how you would answer that question. For some of you, you would say, listen, you should see the beauty of sunsets, it is a wonderful world. This, this world we live in, it is so beautiful, it's breathtaking. Maybe for you, you would say, listen, we humans, we can have these amazing relationships. We can enjoy a, a relationship with other humans that is just so wonderful. I wonder what the answer is that you would give to that question. What is so wonderful? What is so very good about this world that you live in? I have to say, I would be tempted to quote him from the Louis Armstrong song, I love it. I see trees of green, red roses too. I see them bloom for me and you. And I think to myself, what a wonderful world. Just looking at the roses. I see skies of blue, clouds of white, the bright blessed day, the dark sacred night. And I think to myself, what a wonderful world. I hear babies cry, I watch them grow. They'll learn so much more than I'll ever know. And I think to myself, what a wonderful world. The world that we live in, it really is a, a wonderful world. And sometimes I worry that we don't see that enough. But at the same time, what is so evident is that this is not only a wonderful, very good world that we live in, but it is also a very very broken world. You see, because babies are not only born, but sometimes they are killed in the womb for nothing other than convenience. There's something so broken about that, isn't there? People, yes, they, they shake hands and they have conversations, but they also slander those very same people and lie about them and gossip about them behind their back. It's a wonderful world, but there's something very broken about that. 
the dark, sacred night as Louis Armstrong is beautiful and wonderful as we look up into the night sky and see the stars. But at night there are so many burglaries and murders and sexual assaults and all sorts of awful things that happen in the dark. There are skies of blue and they are glorious. And yet what we see in this world is that Jet fighters fly through those skies having to bomb Islamic terrorists. This is a very good world. But I don't think that anyone can dispute that it is also a very, very broken world. And here's a question for you. Why? Why is it so broken? Why is the world broken like it is? What causes this world to be broken? broken? Well, depending who you speak to, you'll get different answers to that question. And I want to highlight just a few very popular answers. Uh, The first answer that often atheists will give you, people who are very committed atheists, what they will say is that this world is pretty much just created by blind, random chance, that it's all just a bit of an accident, that it's a bit of a cosmic fluke, and so therefore you can't really expect anything else. This is just how it is. It's just broken. It just is. There's no rhyme or reason to it. This world is just broken because it just is. Richard Dawkins, the notable atheist, says this. In a universe of blind physical forces and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt and other people are going to get lucky. And you won't find any rhyme or reason to it, nor justice. The universe we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there at the bottom no design, no purpose, no evil, and no good. Nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. Well, there's optimism if ever I've seen it. The world is broken just because it is. It's just the way it is. Now, there are other people, and they're not quite so pessimistic. They think that the world is broken because humans, they think, are pretty much good at the core, but they think that humans have been corrupted. Corrupted by governments or corrupted by societies or corrupted by bad men and women kind of luring them astray. Some people are very optimistic about human beings. Do you know what? Everyone is actually really, really good. People have just been corrupted. They've just been led astray by other people. And the solution for these people is really education. If we can just educate people, if we can just educate people better, they'll, they'll make better decisions. And they won't go off doing horrendous things and our world, it will become a much better place. Now, I like that theory, but the reality is that that doesn't happen. Some of the most educated men in the world have caused some of the greatest terror in the world. Adolf Hitler was a highly educated man. Osama bin Laden was a highly educated man. Education is not the solution. That's what we have seen throughout history, even though people think it might be. And then there's another view which basically says that the humans, the reason it's also broken is because people just don't think rationally. You know, they, they go by their feelings. They don't rationally and logically think about things. And if people could just think a bit more rationally, then everything would be okay. The world would be a better place. 
And again, I like that thinking, but none of us here tonight, none of us, even if we want to, can live completely rational lives. All of us follow our feelings and they cannot be changed. But what we see tonight in Genesis chapter 3 is that, that God, through this story in Genesis chapter 3, what he does is he gives us a different understanding of why the world is broken. And I'm going to say it in a sentence right at the start so that if you fall asleep during the rest of this service, that you know why the world is broken according to Genesis 3. And here it is. The world is broken because humanity has rejected God's rule and have come under his judgment. Humanity has rejected God's rule. This is what we're going to see in Genesis chapter 3. And humanity and this world has come under God's judgment. And again, we're going to see that in Genesis chapter 3. So why don't we look into the passage just now and we'll see these things as we draw them out. So the beginning of Genesis chapter 3, we're introduced to a serpent or a snake. That's how the passage begins. And there's something, I hope you noticed in the passage, there's something really weird about this snake. This snake is like any other snake that has ever lived or ever will live again because there's something odd about the snake. What's odd about the snake? It can talk. Ever met a talking snake? No, snakes don't talk. But this, this snake does. Look at verse one. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Now this is weird, isn't it? A talking snake, that is really, really weird. But there's two things I want you to recognize tonight. The first thing is this, it wouldn't have been all that weird for Adam and Eve. It wouldn't have really been weird to them. I mean, they are the first humans. They are the first humans to ever interact with animals. It had never happened before. They didn't know how animals were meant to behave. They didn't know the properties of animals. So the fact that the snake talks to Eve and she doesn't go, this is weird, it shouldn't really surprise us. They wouldn't have known anything else. This was maybe the first snake that Eve had ever encountered. And it came to her and it spoke to her. So the first thing to notice, it wouldn't have been strange for Eve. The second thing that we should know is that it is really strange. Snakes do not talk. Sure they don't. They don't talk. And so what we know here is that this is no ordinary snake. This is a a supernatural thing going on here. There's something different about this snake. This is no ordinary snake. This is some sort of supernatural, strange being. And when we get to the very end of the Bible, when we get to to week chapter 9 in our Bible overview, to the book of Revelation, in that book, what we see is that the snake of Genesis 3 is identified in the book of Revelation. And in Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, the snake is identified as the devil. It's identified as Satan. And that word Satan, what that means is enemy of God. This snake is the enemy of God. Now, this opens up a whole other line of different questions, doesn't it? In fact, this opens like a whole can of worms with with a million different questions. Okay, Marty, who's the devil? 
Where did he come from? Why on earth do you snake in, in Genesis chapter 3? Why is he allowed into the Garden of Eden, Marty? In fact, why does God make the devil in the first place, Marty? It's just this can of worms that leads to all sorts of very difficult questions. And from my reading about this topic and these questions, what I want you to know is that there are just no answers for some of them. And for some of them, there are very good answers. But tonight, we don't have time to go into those. But if you'd like a, a book recommendation or a, an article recommendation, ask me and I'd be happy to point you in the right direction. We don't have time for these questions tonight. But what we must accept, if we're going to accept God's story of why the world is broken, is that it starts with a snake who is Satan, the supernatural being who is an enemy of God. It starts with a snake. And the serpent, it, it goes to Eve and it speaks to Eve. And what the serpent does, what the enemy of God does, is it tempts Eve to doubt three things about God. It tempts Eve to doubt three things about God. The first thing that the snake tempts Eve to doubt is what God has said. Look at the opening question. Did God really say? Hey, Eve, did God really say that? Are you sure that's what he said? Did he really say that? Is that what God has said? Are you sure? Have you got it right? Might you be wrong here, Eve? The snake tempts Eve to doubt what God has said. That's the first thing. The second thing that the snake tempts Eve to doubt is that God is really good. Look at the question it asks. It's actually a very twisted question. Look what he says in verse 1. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Now if you were reading the text carefully in Genesis chapter 3, that's not what God said. God was very good to Adam and Eve. Hey Adam, hey Eve. Here is this garden. And I want you to look around. You see all of the trees. You see all the fruit that's in all of the trees. All of that is yours. It's all for you. It's all for you. This, this multitude of fruit, these multitude of trees, eat from whatever tree you want and really enjoy the fruit from it. But listen, there's one tree back there. Just one, just one tree and, and I, I don't want you to eat from that. You can have all the rest, but that one tree, don't eat from that. But yet look at the question, look at how twisted it is. Satan is trying to make it out that, that God has actually been quite mean. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Hey, did, did God say you can't have any of this fruit in the garden? Did he say that none of it's for you? Satan is trying to make God look like he's not good. Satan is trying to make God sound like he is pretty bad, pretty mean. You're not allowed to any of these trees? That's awful, Eve. Poor you. Awful God. The serpent tries to make Eve doubt that God is good. And then we see the final thing as well that that, that the Satan tries to tempt Eve to doubt about God, and it's that God will really punish their rebellion. 
he, he tries to make Eve doubt that God is actually going to do anything if they eat from the tree. Look at verse 4. You will not surely die, says the snake. Listen, Eve, I hear what you've told me. You've told me that God has said if you eat from it, you're going to die. But listen, Eve, you won't die. You'll not surely die. There'll be no repercussions to your actions. There'll be no ramifications for your sin. You won't die, Eve. Don't believe those words from God. Now I wonder, as you sit here tonight, can you resonate with any of those temptations of doubt? This morning we, we thought about temptation. And this morning we recognize that very often temptation comes from the sinful nature in us that we inherited from Adam and Eve. We want something that, that God doesn't want. We want it inside us and we go after it. But in the Bible what we see is that temptation can actually come from without. It can come from outside of ourselves. It can come from the devil. It can come from one of his demons. And I reckon that the temptation that comes to us from outside of ourselves are these three temptations to doubt. We doubt what God has said. My guess is we all doubt what God has said sometimes. We doubt whether it's true. We doubt whether we should believe it. And the reason why I am convinced that each of us face that doubt is because I am convinced that that doubt, that temptation comes from outside of ourselves. If you're a young adult here tonight, my guess is that you are tempted to doubt what you read about God's sexual ethics in the Bible. We live in a world that question them, that mock them, that belittle them, that say that they're so outdated. And my guess is that you might be tempted to look at those things and, and just try to tweak them and twist them. And you just ask yourself, is this what God was really saying when he said these things? We all know that temptation, don't we? That temptation to doubt what God has said clearly in his word. And then there's the other temptation, the temptation to doubt that God is good. Now, there are times in our lives, don't get me wrong, when we go through terrible things. There are times in our lives where it feels like we're hit by wall after wall after wall. It feels like the punches are landing on us from everywhere. There are seasons in life where it is difficult and where God allows certain things to happen to us. And in those moments, there, there are doubts. And those doubts, they're, they're very normal. Lord, where are you? Where are you in the middle of all of this? I'm really struggling to understand how you can be good and let me go through this. Those doubts are very normal and very natural. But there is another type of doubting God's goodness. And it's when you're going through life and those things aren't happening. And yet you still question his goodness. 
God, my life is fine. But I'm just wondering if you really want the best for me. My life's pretty good, but I, I just wonder, am I better off without you? There are times when we can go through life and things are okay, and yet even in the middle of that, we doubt if God is good and wants our best and if we should really be living for him and his way. And again, I think that that temptation to doubt that comes from outside of ourselves. And so my guess is we all experience it. And then the third temptation, I, I especially think that is, is very, very uh, relevant today. We doubt that God will really punish sin. Do we not? I mean, do we not doubt that at times? We live in a, a world that is rebelling against God, that is going their own way. We have people we love dearly who have no interest in God and who are living in active rebellion against Him. We have people who, who don't know the forgiveness that Jesus brings, who haven't repented of their sins. And we know that the Bible says that anyone who dies in their sin without Christ will face his judgment. And yet, a little bit of us, or maybe an awful lot of us, it doubts that. Will God really punish sin? Will my friends and will my family members really stand before God and, and face his judgment? We doubt that, don't we? We doubt it. And therefore, we, we struggle to tell them the gospel or to speak to them about Jesus. We get so afraid because we doubt it anyway. Friends, tonight there is an enemy of God and he wants you to doubt these things. He wants you to doubt what God has said. He wants you to doubt that God is good and he wants you to doubt that God will punish sin. And I'm not sure what you can do about those things. Those doubts are going to come. Those seeds of doubt will be sown. But I want to encourage you tonight to, to trust what God has said, to remember that he is good, and to believe that he will do everything he says he'll do. Anyway, let's go back to your passage. What happens next? We have Adam and Eve's response. Well, Eve, she, she listens to the talking snake, and she takes some of the the fruit and she eats it and then Adam well <laughs> he listens to Eve and he takes some of the fruit and he eats it they both eat from the fruit from the tree that God told them not to eat of they eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil now that sounds like a pretty petty thing doesn't it I mean eating from a tree it's not really a big deal, is it? It's not really that big of a deal. It's just taking a fruit and, and eating it. Well, let me ask you this. You see this wedding ring of mine? It's just a ring. If I was to take this wedding ring off and run over to the embankment there and to throw it into the river, is that a big deal? Is that a big deal? It's just throwing a ring into a river. There's something more going on here. 
There's something more significant than just eating a piece of fruit. You see, whenever Adam and Eve eat the fruit, they're eating from a particular tree, and it's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And whenever Eve and Adam eat that fruit, what they're saying, because Satan said it, he said, if you eat it, you'll be like God. What they're saying is, when we eat this fruit, we want to be like God. We want to be in charge. We want to rule and reign. We don't want God telling us what to do. We want to decide what's right and what's wrong. It's not just about the fruit. It's about what eating the fruit resembles and represents. We don't want you. We want to be king. It represents something. And they take the fruit and they eat the fruit and their eyes are opened. They have rebelled against God. And what we see in that moment is that everything changes in this moment. When Adam and Eve, as representatives of humanity, eat from the tree, when they rebel against God, when they fight against Him, when they decide that they want to decide what's right and wrong, when they decide that they want to go their way, not His, what we see is that there are effects that have rippled down through the centuries. It's at this point that the world becomes a broken place. And we see a number of things are broken. First of all, we see that their relationship with each other is broken. Adam and Eve's wonderful relationship is broken. Previously in Genesis chapter 2, we read that Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Now, that is a brilliant verse for, for like Sunday school. Everyone gets a bit embarrassed. Oh, they're naked. and no. It's a really embarrassing verse when you're a kid. But what that verse is saying is that in Genesis chapter 2, Adam and Eve were open with each other. No shame. They had this open relationship. Things were good. It was perfect. It was wonderful. It was harmonious. In Genesis chapter 2, they had this wonderful open relationship. But now we read verse 7. Look at the text with me. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Do you see what they do? They, they cover up from each other. They cover up from each other. Suddenly they're, they're no longer trusting of one another. Suddenly Eve doesn't really want Adam to see her. Suddenly Adam doesn't really want Eve to see him. Something has changed in that moment. No longer trusting, no longer open. That relationship is damaged. And then what we see in verse 16 is that part of God's judgment upon Adam and Eve and upon humanity is that husbands and wives will, will never have this perfect relationship that Adam and Eve had at the start. Look at verse 16. God says, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. That word desire, it means that this idea of having control. Eve, from now on, what you're going to want to do, you're going to want to control Adam. You're going to want to, to control him. And now that I'm bringing judgment on your relationship, he will rule over you. That word rule, it has the idea of harshness. 
Eve, as you try to rule him, he's at times going to be harsh with you. I think that's why Paul in the New Testament says to husbands, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. This is a consequence of the fall. An imperfect relationship between Adam and Eve. Now, I want to encourage you in a strange way if you're married here tonight. And I want to encourage you by saying that no relationship is perfect. What I want to encourage you by saying is that there's no such thing as the perfect marriage. Whenever two messed up, flawed people unite together as one and live together as as husband and wife, you're still two flawed, messed up people. And when you bring two flawed, messed up people together, it, it doesn't work out as perfectness. There will be grace to be husband and wife but there is no perfect marriage. So tonight, if you're sitting here and you think, do you know what, my marriage, it's, it's hard sometimes, but don't get on sometimes. Sometimes, you know, I just don't know if, if I'm in the right relationship. You are. <laughs> no relationship's perfect. None. But then what we see a bit later in our text then is that not only is the relationship with, with man and woman and people and humanity and husbands and wives, not only is that broken and now imperfect, but what we see is that humanity's relationship with God is broken. We see a broken relationship with God. Look at verse 8 with me. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as, they were, as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Do you know, as a dad, what I really hope is this. You see, whenever my children are teenagers and they get themselves in a real mess, what I hope they do is I hope they look at each other and say, do you know what, guys, we need to call dad. We've made a mess of things. We need to call dad. That's what I hope they say. But you see, whenever I was a teenager and I made a mess of things, do you know what my response was? I hope my dad doesn't find out. <laughs> and maybe that says something about the relationship that I had with my dad as a teenager. Because that's what happens here in Genesis chapter 3. They've made a mess of things. And what do they do? Let's go and hide. Let's hope he doesn't find out. Let's hope he doesn't find us. Their relationship with God is broken. They, they hide from their creator. They withdraw from God. They, they try to hide away from him. They no longer want to meet with him. And then what we see as well is that part of the, the consequences, part of the judgment of God on Adam and Eve is that God actually withdraws from them. He won't allow them to live in his perfect presence anymore. He won't allow them to live in a perfect relationship with him anymore. Look at verse 23. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. Adam and Eve had lived in this perfect relationship with God. And God now says to them, Get out. Get out get out. This is pretty sad stuff, isn't it? But yet it's what we're seeing in this part of the Bible. And then the next thing we see 
is another broken thing, and it's the last broken thing we're going to see as a result of, of the rebellion. And it's that there is now a broken relationship with God's creation. There's a broken relationship with creation. And again, we, we see this in verses 16 to 18. Have a look with me at the text there. First of all, verse 16, God speaks to the woman and he, he pronounces a judgment upon her. I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain, you will give birth to children. Childbirth, it's not going to be painful, says God. This most natural of things is now going to be even more painful for women. God had commanded them in Genesis chapter 1 to fill the earth. And now to do that is going to be painful. This natural thing is now broken and filled with pain. Then in verse 17, look at what he says to Adam. To Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field. Hey Adam, work for you is now going to be pretty hard. Adam, I was just going to let the fruit grow and and you would just come along and harvest it, but now you're going to have to work so hard to make the trees grow. There's going to be thorns and thistles now for you to deal with. There's going to be droughts and famines for you to deal with. There's going to be floods for you to deal with, Adam. It's going to be hard for you, Adam. There is a broken relationship with creation. Creation will not work like humans hope it will work. This is why creation doesn't work. This is why work is hard. This is why things go wrong. This is why there are volcanoes and tsunamis. This, this is why. It's because in a sense creation itself was broken as a result of Genesis chapter 3. That's why Romans says that all of creation longs for the day when Christ returns. Because it will then that day be fixed again. Now again, let me just kind of bring this to, to our world today. And I just want to say something. Sometimes um, sometimes we can have wrong expectations, can't we? I wonder what you have had a wrong expectation of. Maybe you came here tonight expecting a short sermon. Wrong expectation. Sorry about that. We've had a wrong expectation. Well, sometimes I think that we have wrong expectations about life. And wrong expectations because we haven't understood Genesis 3. And tonight what I want to do, and it's actually for your good and hopefully for your sanity, what I want to highlight are three wrong expectations that you might be carrying tonight that I want you to get rid of. The first wrong expectation you might have is to do with relationships. Maybe you're here tonight and what you expect in relationships is that they are really good all the time. Tonight, is that what you expect in your relationships? I wonder, do you have friends tonight, good friends, and what you expect of them is that they will never let you down? I wonder, do you have a best friend tonight, and what you expect from them is that they will never say the wrong thing? Now, I know that when I say that out loud, it sounds a bit silly to have that expectation, doesn't it? But we can 
we can expect an awful lot from people. We can expect them to be perfect, even though we are not. <laughs> and what I want to say to you tonight is that because of the fall, because of this broken world we live in, no relationship is going to be right. Tonight, if someone's hurt you, if someone's harmed you, don't be surprised by it. Tonight, if your best friend has said something silly to you, don't be all in shock about it. We live in a broken world. Tonight, instead of holding that as, as a grudge against them, why not forgive them? Why not talk about it? Why not sort it out? Don't have a wrong expectation of relationships. Also, we can have a wrong expectation of our relationship with God. And I have to be a little bit careful here with, with what I say because on one hand, because of Jesus, we now do have a relationship with God. The Spirit of God lives in us. We, we are in the family of God. We can speak to the Father unhindered. We can know God's presence and his help in his life. But can I just point something out? The relationship we have with God now is absolutely nothing compared to what our relationship will be like with him on the other side of eternity. This is not it. Our relationship with God, even though it's living and it exists and it's good, it is not what it's meant and one day will be. This is going to sound kind of bad, but, but don't expect too much from your relationship with God. I mean, maybe some of you are kind of hoping that God will speak to you in an audible voice, you know, as you walk down the street. I think you're expecting too much. Maybe tonight you're expecting God to, to work and answer every prayer in just the way you want it to be. I think you're expecting too much. Can I, can I encourage you tonight? Don't have a, a wrong expectation of your relationship with God. It is good. It's fulfilling. It's wonderful. We wouldn't swap it for anything else. It's, it's better than any other relationship we have. It's amazing to know God. But just remember, we live in a broken world. And what it is now is not what it will one day be. And the last wrong expectation I think we have is our, our, our relationship with creation. I think that we expect that, that somehow we can fix all of creation's problems. I know for my generation and, and for those younger, there's an amazing pressure on us to recycle and to, to get rid of plastic straws and, and to do all of this climate change stuff. And that is really good and it's important and it's right. But let's not kid ourselves. We as humans cannot control the climate. We can be good stewards of the earth. We can do good things that help. But God is the one in control. And part of the reason why our world is, is facing the things it's facing is because it is under the judgment of God from Genesis chapter 3. And I don't say that to put you off recycling. I recycle. I don't say that to, to put you off being eco-friendly. It's important to do all of that stuff. But please don't have a wrong expectation. We will not solve the problems of the planet. Creation is broken because of the fall. We also see tonight that there is a, a broken future. Death comes in at the fall. And separation from God forever comes in at the fall for those 
who have not trusted Jesus. What we see in this passage, it's, a, it's an awful reversal. It's a reversal of Genesis 1. We're made to enjoy life in God's world and now we're going to know pain and hardship. We're made to rule a very good creation, but now creation can't be controlled and subdued. We're made to enjoy this wonderful relationship with God, but now we're, we're banished from God's presence, cut off from him in some ways. We're made to enjoy other humans, and yet now we can't know complete openness and trust in relationships. I've still got loads to say, but I'm not going to because we really don't have time. But let me just finish by pointing you to the hope-filled promise of Genesis chapter 3, 15. As God speaks to the snake, he says this, I will put enmity between you and the woman. So Satan, there's going to be a war between you and humans. You're not going to get on. And there's going to be an enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. But then it says, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Hey, Satan, listen up. And listen up real good, says God. You've come in here and you've caused all sorts of problems. You've come in here and, and in a sense you've caused this world of mine to be broken. Well, listen up, Satan. One of Eve's descendants is going to crush your head. One of Eve's descendants is going to put you to death. One of Eve's descendants is going to destroy you and all the work that you have done. One of her descendants is coming and he's going to defeat you. And that, my friends, that descendant is the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who came to conquer the devil. He did it in part when he died on the cross and he'll do it completely when he comes again. That great enemy, he no longer has the power he did, but Christ has conquered and one day will completely undo all of his work. And we're going to see that in Revelation in seven weeks' time. As I finish, just uh, what I want you to do is actually to, to try to to think of what you believe about a broken world. And what I want to encourage you to do tonight is I want to encourage you to, to actually embrace God's view of why the world is broken tonight. Embrace it. Let it shape how you think. Let it shape how you live. Our world is broken because of our rebellion against God and his judgment upon it. Humans are wonderful, fantastic, wonderful beings created in the image of God, yet also completely flawed and marred by sin. There are big problems in humanity and we cannot fix them all. But one day, the great fixer will return and make it all good, very good, once more. Let's pray tonight. Father, we thank you that you give us stories. Stories in your word that are true. Stories that we can understand. Stories that we can remember and stories that we can relate to. And we thank you tonight, Lord, that you have helped us to understand why our world is so broken through this very dark and quite sad story. But Lord, I pray tonight that as we live in this broken world, 
as we live with the effects of the fall in our relationships with other people and with you and with creation, I pray tonight that you would help us to cling to the great promise of Genesis 3.15. That one has come who has defeated Satan and is coming back and will defeat him completely and utterly and totally. Oh Lord, we have a wonderful hope tonight. In the middle of our broken world, help us to cling to it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.